Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. My name is Matt Hudson from What I Watch Tonight, and joining me from across the seas, he's the statesman to my kingsman and a jolly good fellow, it's John Burke from Burke Reviews. How are you, my friend? I'm jolly good, sir, jolly good. Um, I couldn't resist the opportunity to say jolly good. So, uh, the English lingo. I see. Um, Oops, wait. Yes, uh, I am trying my best. Um, it's been a bloody hell of a time, so why not? Uh, how are you doing today, sir? Um, jolly not bad. Uh, <laughs> not so bad, my friend. It's uh, it's all right. You're kind of plodding along now. And I know I'm not going to get into the lockdown life. Everybody's ha- uh, having it, but it's just kind of getting to the... Right, it's been a year now. We did the Bampocalypse about a year ago, and we're still in the same bloody situation. These same four walls are starting to bleed into one now. Um, so I don't know if it's me losing my mind or just everybody else, but thank God we've got films and thank God I've got John Burke to keep me sane. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm good. It's all good over here, uh, in the, in the empire. But how about yourself? How's Florida keeping? Oh, you know, we're, uh, we're hanging in there. Um, they did, uh, we had all sorts of crazy weather the last week or so. And then, uh, you know, crazy crazy policies and things happening over here and people still fighting. We're just hoping that some, some normalcy returns. Of course, it, as far as lockdown goes, Florida, not a thing. So it's, 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 <laughs> it's always kind of mind boggling. Cause I forget. Um, Cause I, I still try to like distance and stay home as much as possible. Um, but there are definitely things that I do uh, that I take for granted, maybe even, that I forget uh, other places are not even remotely allowed to be doing. Um, but it's still, we are approaching the, the one year mark uh, since I last saw a movie in the theater. Um, even though we do have theaters that are open, not my, my closest theater is closed. And I, I think the rumor is that it is closed for good, uh, which is nerve wracking. So when theaters do reopen, I'm going to have to go at like 20 to 30 minutes away. And I don't know if I'm going to have a, like I got really spoiled with the passes. So like the idea of having to pay per ticket again would be, you know, a bit of a burden, um, especially with WB giving them away this year, uh, basically. So <laughs> if I was getting a free VR HBO, you get a free hit for the whole year, essentially. Yeah. So it's like, hmm. Oh, mine's included with my cell phone package. So like, I almost am not even aware that I'm paying for it kind of thing. I'm paying a lot for my cell phone, mind you, but that's like collective, you know, it was only because you wanted to watch Zack Snyder's Justice League. Oh, of course. Uh, we cannot wait to review the Snyderverse uh, cut of that movie that I've not thought about rewatching since I saw it in theaters. Uh, with Jesus, Jared. Sorry, Jesus, Joker. We we really do live in a society where that is a real thing. Yeah, that the living society was a nice little subtle. I almost didn't catch it when you said it there for a second. But mm-hmm. yeah, uh it's a little anxiety inducing. I, I am. Yeah. You know, well, apparently the cinemas are going to be open. Um, Emperor Boris has said by June, by, sorry, by July, the 21st is our roadmap for normalcy to resume or a semblance of. So July, the 23rd, this time they've been very clever. And they said, you know, barring any hitches, this, that, and the other, they hadn't said definitively, but July, the 21st is when we'll all be able to breathe air again. But I believe cinemas are looking at opening, in May, I think, 
around about the time of Black Widow time, I think, is what they're what they're touting. Not for Black Widow, but it just happens to be that's coming out at the same time. So, but a lot of people are getting excited at the idea of going out on July the twenty first. I, t- I just don't know, man. Now, the cinema's open in May. I'm still so reticent to go out and do it. Um, but no. You know, we'll have to see. We'll see what the world, what state the world's in, and there will there will come a time on the in BAMP history when this is a thing of the past, and we don't have to talk about this. And we'll be like, "What did you see at the cinema?" I went eight times this week, and it'll be it'll be great. We'll be fat from popcorn and got butter dripping down our chins. It'll be wonderful. But that time is not now yet, is it, my friend? No. And I was I was actually listening to uh, the Blank Check um, Patreon episode on my way home from work, uh, and they're doing uh, Star Trek commentary for the original five star trek movies and um uh griffin was like pointed out that movies are are too short now and and his hope with the re-return to theatrics uh when we get to go back to theater that all the movies should just add an hour just so we can like luxuriate at being back in the theater so Mm -hmm. you know movies often now are paced a little faster he's like slow him down give us that extra time to let us just be back in the theater. And then he's like, but if it's, if it's dropping on streaming, let's make it 85 minutes. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm for that. Let's do that. Uh, streaming debuts, 85 minute movies, theatrical releases. Uh, once pandemic is over three hour runs, let's do it. Um, everything could be a Snyder cut, you know? Uh, no, no. Well, actually, as long as they're better than the Snyder cut. Um, no, well, we'll be talking about the Snyder cut in a few weeks. So make sure you come back for that. Cause we are going to have a good time with that four hour epic of a film. But tonight we're going uh, for something decidedly more low-key. And if you're new to the BAMP, we take the biggest release, the most major release, or the most interesting release, theatrically, streaming, however it comes, uh, and we give non-spoiler reviews. So all of our reviews are non-spoiler. We'll give the synopsis and we'll touch upon what happens in the synopsis, but we won't obviously say any of the big moments or big reveals or anything like that. So this week we are talking about Nomadland, directed by Chloe Zhao, who also writes and edits it as well, and produces it, I believe. Um, and it's based on a book by Jessica Bruder. She has a writing credit. Uh, it stars Francis McDormand and David Strathen. And the synopsis reads, After losing everything in the Great Recession, a woman embarks on a journey through the American West, living as a van-dwelling modern-day nomad. Critically, it's very, very well-received. 95% critically on Rotten Tomatoes. 94 on Metascore, which is massive, uh, and 7.6 uh, for the IMDb user score. It's available on Hulu in theatres, and if you're lucky enough to know somebody at the studio, you can get one from there as well. So uh, to up the top, Nomadland. I went into this with you know pretty high expectations because you'd have to be living under a rock to not have heard the buzz around this film. It, I think it won at Cannes and Venice, the top film there. I think the only festival that hasn't won best film is the Florida Film Festival, uh, <laughs> which went to a film you loved actually, First Cow. Um, oh. But and obviously, people said how good Closed House direction was, how great Francis McDormand was, and just what an affecting story it was. So I kind of got not gone in thinking, oh bloody hell, it's got a lot of expectations to hit. And for me, it did. For the for the vast majority of them, really did. I thought this film really was a great film. And I emphasize like the word film. It's not a movie. It's a, it's a film. It's a really well put together film. It's a really cr- well crafted film. Uh, Frances McDormand plays a character called Fern who has, she's embraced life on the road. She's, she's given up. Uh, she's taken it upon herself to change her priorities and reevaluate her life basically. And 
She lives as a houseless member of society, not homeless. There's a difference. And like the character of Fern, the film is really well crafted because it doesn't ever feel like it's going anywhere. But at the same time, it's really telling a, a real slice of life out there in the Midwest. This is, this is what it is like for some people who decide to take this way of life. And it feels this way. There's no airs or graces. And the story is told in a really elegiac way. There's a real seriousness, a sincerity, and earnestness about it. There is no, um, they don't make, they don't sensationalize anything here. It is very much what you see is what you get. And um, I've seen it being referred to as something out of the Terrence Malick wheelhouse, but uh, this has got more to it for me. I know a lot of people like Terrence Malick, but I'm not usually one for, for Terrence's films. I appreciate the beauty, but there's, there's nothing behind the eyes there. Whereas here, I think there is. Frances McDormand is almost swore than fearless. Honestly, she's so affecting. She's seriously good again. Again, she's quite in the running now for the third Best Actor Oscar. You know, Fargo, Three Billboards, and potentially this. I mean, come on. People talk about the Streetmeister. Come on. Frances McDormand, every time she's in something, she brings in. She's so good here, I think. Uh, Chloe Zhao, she captures the scope of the landscape so very well in terms of the scale and beauty, but also how barren it is. It looks great, but it's a barren world out there, which is what they allude to in it. Like, you know what I mean? It isn't just, you know, if something happens to you out here or your or your vehicle or whatever, then, you know, you're you're in trouble. You know, there's a real kind of menace out there, a quiet menace. And it's a patient film. You have to be very patient with it. It, it moves at its own pace. It's very particular in its pacing. But I thought it was very rewarding. I really did like this film an awful lot. It is built around Frances McDormand's uh, performance. So if that does work for you, which I imagine it will, then you're halfway there. I think Chloe Zhao directs this extremely well. She knows when to she knows when to pull the camera back to get to show everything. She knows when to get close up. She really knows how to eke out emotion from, uh, like I say, a film which does demand you to be patient. Um, there was a Thanksgiving meal which looked incredible. Turkey did look very well cooked. Um, the only the only downside for me, and this is minor, minor, is I really like the score by um, Ludovico Arnaldi. But if uh, that felt to me like the most mawkish part of the film. The film is no way sentimental or overly sentimental, but the score felt that to me. I really liked it I, I, individually by, by itself, but it felt overly sentimental, like it was trying to remind you that, you know, this is a serious story and you need to feel something here. But that, you know, the performances were doing that for me. But I like this film an awful lot. I really did like this film, and I'm so glad I did because of the hype. John, I have no idea what you thought about this film. Am I mad, or are you kind of on the same wavelength? Oh, definitely on the same wavelength. Um, I, her film, The Writer, from uh, 2017, really blew me away that year. It was a film, I, I'm not a big, uh, as you know, not a big fan of horse movies, although that technically <laughs> isn't a horse movie. It's it's definitely a rodeo movie, but um, I'm not I'm not really into the rodeo. I'm not into that, that type of life, even. And... Um, Upon this film, I, I messaged uh, Big Tuna that uh, Chloe Zhao and Sean Baker, I think, are um, of a of a new genre that we're kind of watching be crafted of this like fictional realism, where they are casting a lot of non actors. Um, even though obviously Frances McDormand not a non actress, she is an actress and she's a terrific, amazing actress. But everyone else in this movie are playing versions of themselves. They're actually people. 
um, with and David Strathairn. There's, that's why there's only two actors listed. There's a lot of other people in this movie, but they're not technically actors. They're not people you're going to know from things. And if you look yeah. at their credits, their first name is their real name because that's what they weren't trying to create a fiction with them. They were kind of bringing a sense of realism to the story. Um, and you see that with Sean Baker's work too. Tangerine is the same way. And then uh, the Florida project, while again, those, the, the lead characters are actors, the, a lot of the extras in the film aren't, they are actually people who lived at the hotel or, or at least familiar with that, that world. And that's something I think uh, both of these filmmakers are doing. And I, I think there's a level of where you, you could even levy a criticism about that. It's like, here's these people who are, are exploiting people in, in difficult situations or, or complex situations. And yet to me, I see it as bringing awareness to, to issues that we're unaware of. Like I had no clue about the story or these van nomads. Like I'd never heard of such a thing. The same with the Florida project. I'd never heard of the hidden homeless as they dubbed them in the, in their marketing and in the, the processing of it. And I live literally 30 minutes or so away from where they filmed the Florida project. So, and I didn't know about it. It's like, so to me, I think there's a lot of good that can come from this. Hopefully we're not seeing what has happened with Hollywood in the past where they, they plow through the story, they get what they want out of it and they leave it, you know, unhelped and un, unaltered as a result. I, I hope that's not the case. Uh, this one's a little different because this is set 10 years ago. So I don't know if the information we're being given about the, the van nomads is still something that's happening now, or if this was just a very isolated, you know, story, obviously, um, Fern's story is very specific to an area with, um, what was it? Empire, uh, Nevada is the, yes. the city. And I knew nothing about that. And it's, it's crazy to, to see those opening texts. And this is why it's not a spoiler folks. This is in the opening title credits, um, of empire, you know, uh, they, uh, uh, drywall manufacturing company was the town. And when the, when that shut down within a few months, the, the zip code was removed. It, it ceased to exist. And that, is mind boggling to me, like that concept of this town, just no longer being a thing. And, um, Fern is of the people like the last to leave. And then now she's got nothing. And, uh, I, I was also surprised that Amazon allowed, I don't know if they, I assume they had to get permission to like use Amazon's logo and like the warehouse and stuff. I was a little surprised Amazon was willing to sign on to that, especially given all of the worker controversy that's going on with Amazon. Here imagine that they chase the money to get that. Amazon aren't going to give up their branding and logo for free. Yeah. And, but it was obviously important to the story to, to again, that level of authenticity that Zhao brings, which is why as much as I, I love this movie that stated, but I am a really, really excited about what Zhao's doing. And I am so curious how she can bring this sensibility that she's had um, in the two films of hers now that I have seen. And there is her first film uh, is of the same cloth, uh, which is called Songs My Brothers Taught Me, is also kind of grounded in this true story with, again, fictional narrative dictating the, the, the flow of it. Uh, and that's it's not a documentary, but it is, in a sense, a a way of seeing it like a documentary just with a fictional constructive narrative. Um, but I feel like Zhao and Baker both do a good job of not making it too contrived. It always feels very naturalistic. It is a slice of life. It's much more character centric than plot driven. Um, but uh, she's, she's directed and it's ready. It was supposed to come out a few months ago, Eternals. And I just can't, I can't like, can she bring this sensibility to a comic book movie and, or did they even, try to do that like i'm really curious to see what eternals is because it is a property that i have like no connection to 
Um, I'm very excited about the cast primarily because of Kamel. Uh, as if listeners will know, I'm a gigantic Kamel Nanjani fan. And then um, I am a big fan of what I've seen from Zhao. Again, I'm two of three films so far. Yep. Uh, I just found out that her debut film is available on a service called Canopy, which is available with most uh, library accounts. So if you have a library card here in the States, there's a good chance your library has a contract with Canopy and you can check out like 14 movies a month or something like that. The number varies, but uh, that film is available through that service. So I'm planning on watching it in the near future. Um, Cause I want to, I like to complete filmographies. And so I want to, uh, to check that out, but uh, Nomadland. Um, I, I just, I just think McDermott is, is at a level that few others are at. She's masterful. It, it is um, a true understanding of the craft of acting and performance where at times it feels almost too genuine. We're like, it, it really feels like we're like, we're, we're prying into someone's private life in a way that is almost made me uncomfortable at, at times where I'm just like, man, does she know that we're like watching? I'm like, of course she knows, but like it, it, it's so organic and naturalistic that it, it genuinely like threw me for a second that I felt I felt like I was being uh, invasive into her world and her life. Um, especially, I mean, there's a scene, this is not a spoiler because there's, again, realistically, the plot is very minimal. It's not a plotty movie, but there's a scene where she has a bathroom emergency. Yes. And they don't shy away from the sequence. Like, it's not graphic either, but it's also like, this is a big time, two time Academy Award winning actress. Basically, like, about the pooper pants and it, it's, it's not played for a joke. Um, I mean, there's a little bit of a joke. Uh, I did have a weird thing happen though, while watching this, uh, this is, it's on Hulu here in the States, right? From the beginning, Hulu, I don't know what it is with their streaming service, but it, it is at least on my Xbox it, of all the different things I stream on. And again, I have HBO max. I have Netflix. I have Amazon prime. I, I use voodoo all the time. Very rarely do I have any like buffering issues with those services, Hulu, like consistently I have buffering issues um, where like my, my picture will get fuzzy for a few seconds and then it will go back to the HD quality that it's supposed to be. Right. And so that was happening right at the beginning of this movie. I was like really irritated because this is a movie I want to see because I know her cinematography is going to be strong. And then when it got to that scene, she reaches to grab a roll of uh, what she's looking for toilet paper, but it's paper towels, which is mm-hmm. disturbing. If you have any, I, you know, just the texture difference. Yeah. Yeah, but so it starts looping on my playback. Like where it keeps, like it will restart with her reaching back to grab the paper towels. So I watched her pull the roll of paper towels out like four times, and I'm just like, "What is happening?" And then finally, like it shut down. It was like there's an error playing this. I'm like, "Oh my god, if this is gonna not let me finish the movie, I'm gonna lose my mind." It's just looping at that moment. Well, she's famous in this film because there's another scene where it's kind of like, "Well, you know, she's she's not afraid to go places." When it, the first time it looped, I was like, this is a weird choice for Zhao. <laughs> like, it really shatters the realism that it's looping, <laughs> like, right now. <laughs> oh, it's some kind of, like, weird dimension thing. It's like a Eternals prequel. Yeah, and then I'm just like, of all the places who like that it could have messed up, that has got to be the funniest place for it to have looped. <laughs> like, <laughs> Because uh, it's not, again, I don't feel like the scene's playing for comedy, but there's a, a natural sense of kind of, uh-oh, like laughter to it, right? And, uh, but then when it loops, you're like, well, what is happening now? Um, but yeah, it did, it, I had to actually like back out and then uh, hit play again. It was, it had glitched out that badly. At least so many times you can watch that. 
yeah. So, uh, um, I had some weird experiences with it being on Hulu, which, you know, I've, I've like, people might try to now like bash why streaming isn't good, but I've been to theatrical screenings where something goes wrong with the film too. So like, it's, it's not immune, like theatrical experiences have been ruined, um, too. So I got, I'm still, I'm not complaining overall, but I would have still liked to have seen this on a big screen, but. I remember going to watch Dunkirk and I sat down and they started playing the Spider-Man film that was out all the time. Suddenly oh, wow. Yeah. And there's a lot of um, older people in the cinema, older than me, who were, they weren't pleased at this kind of, this youthful um, flick that came on when they were expecting this old Christopher Nolan World War II epic. Um, like I had to go and get the guy and say, by the way, I think got the wrong, <laughs> wrong filming. Um, I did get to watch Dunkirk in the end, but uh yeah, this I, I do, everything you've said there, man, is is spot on. It's it is an affecting film, and I, I agree about the Amazon thing. When I first, well, I say when I first watched it, the only time I watched it, I um, I did kind of think, blimey, Amazon, because I knew it was set in the Great um, Recession, and so it wasn't that long ago. But it still kind of strikes me now to see such a big brand, and I get that. That's the whole point of the film. The whole dichotomy, the whole parallel is you've got the, the ones you've got the corporate consumerist consumerist machine. And you've got, you know, the other side, how the other side live, essentially. Um, how, you know, the blue collar workers and below. It's, uh, it was very intriguing to see that, but it did kind of throw me off to start with, like seeing Amazon everywhere. But that's what it was all about, wasn't it? That's was the whole point. That was the effect. I was describing the movie to somebody and then I was like, she works at Amazon. They're like, is it actually Amazon? I'm like, yes, it is. And I was like, that kind of made me aware of like, yeah, that it is weird that Amazon is because it's they're not depicted in a like a totally negative light. No, but they're not depicted in like some oh they're her savior either. They're just like like they take care quote unquote of their employees uh, to a degree because not only is she getting a salary which apparently is a pretty good paycheck she says I don't you know it's they it can't be that good of a paycheck mind you but um well they're also under the sun right but they're also paying for the 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 van rental space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they also cut that off like real fast. Like it, like when it's over, the season's over, which guys, again, this is the beginning of the movie. So like, it's not the entirety of the film. Like we get a, about a year of her life. Um, but, uh, we we learn like once the, the season is over that it's like, you got one day to get out of here before you have to start paying, uh, quite a bit of money to rent one of those van spaces. But mm-hmm. yeah. It, and it, that's where the film got, the film doesn't play on. Oh, what a hard life this is. Because necessarily because Fern has decided that this is the life she wants. So it, they, the two go hand in hand and it's really well done. Again, it could have been overly sentimental. It could have been, or it could have been far too hard edged, but any kind of moments of fun are handled nicely, handled well. Um, there's no kind of, like, there's no gag. There's no laugh out loud moments unless your uh, copy just loops at a certain moment. Yeah. But, um, no, I, I think, okay. The question is for you though, because you had to, I believe you had, you, you know, you knew the buzz. We know that you knew the buzz surrounding this film, uh, surrounding Chloe Zhao, surrounding Francis McDormand and the film itself. You know, it's chances for the Oscars disclaimer. We're aware they aren't the be all and end all, but they're a big deal. Did the film live up to that hype for you? And can you see it going on and doing really well at the, the Academy Awards in a few months time? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a few, I, I like this movie a lot. I would love to see promising young woman, um, or, uh, one night in Miami get a a lot of nominations as well. Um, but any, any way we cut it, I think we're finally going to get a second best female director. Uh, and 
to be fair, I, I, any one of these movies I prefer over um, The Hurt Locker. Like, I like The Hurt Locker. But let's be real, that movie got acknowledgement at the Oscars because of the war elements, right? Like, that is a, is a kind of Oscar-y trope. None of these three films are, are not that. I mean, Promising a Woman has, like, would be surprising if it gets the acknowledgement from the Oscars because it is so, if anything, it's almost like pointing at the people who are going to be voting and going, hey, this is you. This is, you see this? This is what you did to us. Um, and then, you know, One Night in Miami is obviously a very civil rights movement, black cast, black director, like female director. So, any nominations there will be awesome. But and Zhao, I don't know her ethnicity, but I know she's not white and uh, um, uh, again, a woman. So, you know, and a movie about a middle-class America, uh, not a war. So if any one of these three directors get that win, it's, it's huge for, for two reasons. The second woman to ever win, which is ridiculous that I can say that still, but also um, I feel like it's, it's winning with a movie that isn't, a traditional Oscar pull. I mean, I guess you could say, yes, these are prestigious in other ways, but they're not, they're not like the big Oscar Beatty movies. Like even this, like with McDermott, it's hard to argue. She's not an Oscar bait performance after having two, but I don't feel like this is a flashy performance. This isn't, um, there isn't like the big monologue like she has in three billboards, right? Like three billboards. There's like scenes that are like, that's the Oscar scene. That's the scene that you play. I don't, I can't think of a moment like that in the film. I think it's like the entirety of her performance is the Oscar play, right? Like, I don't think there's like this one written to get the Oscar nod kind of perform like moment in this film that I can think of at least. No, you're right. Uh, it's just, it's not this, it is the, some of its parts. It's just the part itself is, is just wonderful. Uh, Chloe Zhao was born in Beijing, China. Okay. Uh, so, but uh, we've mentioned it on the show previously as well. And um, having one night in Miami, looking like it's going to get nominated fairly um, fairly uh, prominently. Nomadland as well, a promising young woman. Obviously, everybody looks at the female directors. Everybody looks at the the black cast in One Night in Miami and uh, the female-led films, and people will look at that, and you know, and you can already tell what some headlines will be. But the difference is, or the, pro- the good thing is, all of these films down well deserve to be there. Every single one of these films deserves to be there on its own merit. You know what I mean, like Nomadland deserves to be up for Best Picture and Zal Director. Same for Emerald Fennel, Promising Young Woman, Regina King, One Night on Miami. The films deserve the accolade because they're bloody good. They're bloody good films. So um, that's what I'm excited for. And I'm hoping, man, I'm hoping, here's hoping that we do get that second female director. Not for any cross-check, not for any uh, uh, checking, Box, list, yeah. Yeah. but because... If they, they deserve it this year and i say they but the female directors have really come to the fore this year with the best films of the year so, yeah i mean these all three of these films are fantastic um girls get it done and this is the we did our bampies a few like i guess like a month and a half ago um this was both on both of our lists that we really wanted to have to see it prior to making that list but it was just not an option for us um i don't I don't think it would have been it, it. I don't know for sure if it'd be in my top five. It definitely wouldn't have replaced. Uh, I don't think my, my choices for director or actress, uh, no offense. Cause I do like this movie a whole lot and I I'm very in, but I think, uh, what Regina King did with, um, one night Miami was really impressive to me because it was so play like, and I, I just feel like she really made it feel cinematic. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, yeah. uh, 
Carrie Mulligan just blew me away with Promising Young Woman. So like, I, yeah, he's awesome. I think I, I remember I picked Rose Glass for best director for Saint Maud because I think she directed the hell out of that film. Um, and again, look, Regina King, Rose Glass, two female directors winning the inaugural Bampies because yep. they were the best directors of the year. So, um, I'm, yeah, I, I'm, I, I pretty much agree with what you say there. I think the film did live up to the hype, and I think it is going to get a lot of noms at the Oscars. How it fares though is it, it's too early to say because there's a few other films I want to see. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not on the Oscar panel, which is a shame for them. But there are a few other films I want to see just to fully make my mind up. But of the three you've just mentioned, you know, if they go for eight films or ten Best Picture, One Night at Miami, Promising Young Woman, and this have got to be in the top eight or ten films of the year, surely, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, um, I I hope that we, we get some really good Oscar nominations this year and that they uh, they don't just throw, like, weird choices at, at things that don't deserve it. Because, again, the one thing that, like, of all the male, the big-time male directors, Nolan is probably one of the biggest who has not won an Oscar. Yeah. And I don't want him to win for Tenet over any of the, the women that we just mentioned. Oh, dude, if Chris Nolan, Chris Nolan would be lucky to get a nomination for Tenet. And I don't, and I've got nothing against Chris Nolan, as we know, but just looking at the deep, absolute uh, wealth of directorial talent from last year. Yeah. I don't even, I don't think Tenet was, was excellent. So for me, I don't want to see it. Uh, visual effects sound, you know, the technical awards sure. do well, but anything else for me, would be a big surprise, man. I, I also I think Pattinson deserves a uh, supporting nod for that, but um, I I am a, I like I think I like Tenet a little more than you, yes, and yes. I am a an admitted Nolan fanboy. But if Nolan, uh, I can't think of who would fill out the five director nominations outside of the three women that we just Darius Marda for the Sound of Metal potentially. Oh yeah, I want that for yeah, sure. That's, that's getting buzzed as well on the in the festival circuit, man. Uh, Minari, um, yes. Although that again, w- with uh, that's more likely because of Bong Joon Ho's Parasite win last year, but previously that would have probably been unlikely because it's not an American film. But um, yeah, that's true. Uh, who's they, the they have set a new precedent with with Bong Joon Ho now, though. So who knows? Yeah, Florian Zeller for the father. We're obviously going to be hopefully checking out soon. Yeah, so. I've not seen that one yet, but yeah, I've heard really good things about that one. So that's what I mean. And again, I don't know if if Florian Zeller or the uh, director of Minari does a better job than Chris Nolan, but just from what I'm hearing, those films are getting buzz for in a lot of categories. So, you know, if Chris Nolan gets gets in, fine. But I can see a lot of people who would uh, potentially deserve to get there more. And I know, obviously, Jared Leto is going to win Best Supporting Actor, but I hear what you say about Pattinson. Dude, he better not get an Oscar nomination. I It's, it's a travesty that he has a Golden Globe nomination. But <laughs> And Paul Ray's sitting there counting his beans. He's like, come on. Come it's on. not even like a great performance in the little things. It's not like uh, uh, that. That nomination is is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> it's just Jared Leto just being Jared Leto. Which and that's we're, we're sleeping on the five bloods. I actually would love to see Spike get another nomination and um, Delroy Lindo getting the the actor nod, uh, whether it's supporting or lead. Yeah, well, we've got a well. Before we get too deep into it, we will be doing an Oscar show when we do when we get those nominations. Right. So yeah, sorry, yeah. Like, sidetrack on precursor to what we think may happen but hopefully in a few weeks time i believe well this time next week the the uh eligibility will have closed and the nominations will start getting counted so it won't be long until we know who our nominations are going to be but let's move on from that because i love talking oscars and so does john 
and we could be here all night. So let's move on. That was our review of Nomadland. Both gave that a thumbs up. Check it out when you can do. And we move on to our next segment, which is simply called Chuffed Headlines. Uh, John and myself, we take a movie or pop culture headline that caught our attention in the last week for a variety of reasons. And we tell the other one what it's all about. So, John, what have you gone for this week? Oddly, I went for an Oscar-related <laughs> um, <laughs> article. Uh, this is from Entertainment Weekly, uh, the Awardist podcast. So it's actually Entertainment Weekly reporting on a podcast, which is kind of interesting. But the Awardist podcast, what Oscar champs won for the wrong role, um, which I think is very relevant right now. Uh, because the big the reason that we're talking about is Glenn Close is a front runner for uh, winning Best Supporting Actress for Hillbilly Elegy, a movie that kind of collectively was not loved critically and has kind of, I feel like it's been forgotten that it came out just like less than a year ago. Um, And she, she's overdue though, which is why everyone's expecting her to win it. Uh, It's, you know, it's, it's that kind of, and the Oscars have a precedent for doing that, right? Like giving the award to someone who should have got it previously. um, But then they just didn't give it to them there. And sometimes it's valid. Like there was, it was a really tight competition other times is we're kind of like, oh no, you made a huge mistake, and you're clearly finally uh, paying them back for the mistake that you made. Um, so this uh, article discusses um, other actors who won the award for the wrong movie, basically. Gotcha. Um, and so they bring up uh, there are more classic examples like Al Pacino at last triumphing for *Sin of a Woman*, a movie that is generally not loved and kind of reviled, yet he gets the best actor for that. Mm-hmm. Think of all the iconic performances Pacino had given prior to, um, and that one's the one that kind of cements the the woo-ha, you know, um, Pacino, uh, Colin Firth, which in a, a film I just recently watched for the first time, in *The King's Speech*. Um, that again, not saying he doesn't deserve it, but maybe not for that particular role. I don't know if I agree with that one, but it, it's interesting um, that it's been brought up. Um, and of course, uh, there's talk now about Mank and. Um, the French exit with Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, which I had just recently heard about that movie that I think has Lucas uh, Hedges in it, which is, you know, so many movies now have so Lucas, everyone Hedges. Has Lucas Hedges in it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I like him, but yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that was kind of it. They didn't have that big of a list to be honest, but this, the, the headline caught my role because I do think that is very, very relevant. This idea of, um, you know, one, the implication is that there is a right answer and that's obviously not going to ever be the case because it's always subjective, but um, it is interesting because you, you do see like that happen from time and time and time and time again, where actors uh, are, are quote unquote snubbed for the, this iconic performance. And again, you don't really know it's iconic until it's lasted for several years and people still look at, look back as a definitive, like that was the role that we overlooked that year. Um, but at the same time, and then when they do give it to like the scent of a woman performance and you're like, really, that's the one that's the, that's the time we're like, we're the most impressed by your performance, um, is in scent of a woman where you play a blind. I mean, that'd be like giving it to him in devil's advocate. Like, Oh, here you go. You just or, you're there. Yeah. Or, Oh, Keanu was in Bram Stoker's Dracula with a British accent. Let's hook him up. Jesus uh, Christ. Inferno. Um, Inferno. But yeah, um, I don't know. That's it's funny because we were talking Oscars and I had that picked out before that. But uh, what do you think? Um, yeah, but as soon as you said it, I was like, I remember when Martin Scorsese won. He's um, 
his Oscar, and everyone was like, "Well, he won it. He won it for um, The Departed." But what about every other film before? What about Taxi Driver? What about Casino? Things like that. The fact that you know Martin Scorsese could have won for one of many is something. Um, uh, Morgan Freeman as well. People say, "Why didn't he win for The Shawshank Redemption?" But he won for Million Dollar Baby. Clint Eastwood didn't win for that film, which I think he should have done. But um, so that's one. That's the one I go for because I love Million Dollar Baby, as you know. Um, and Morgan Freeman won Best Supporting Actor, and he look he's great in that. Um, yeah. but, it, but even I was surprised when I was like, he won, he won the whole thing. Um, and yeah, like Leonardo DiCaprio, one says about him, um, Amy Adams, people are banging the gong for Amy Adams to win. Yeah. Finally win the Oscar. And I look, I like Amy Adams. I think Amy Adams is a wonderful actress, but I do not subscribe to the theory that actors deserve to have an Oscar just because, you know, they're good at acting basically. Well, I mean, uh, they missed it with Arrival. She should have got it for Arrival. Like that movie and her performance in that movie is so freaking great. I don't know. I feel like you may not agree with me on that one, but I that is where if they should have given her award for a movie, it's for Arrival. I don't even think. Well, yeah, I don't think I didn't even have a best performance, but um, best actress that year. That was I think that went to Emma Stone in La La Land. If it's the same year, I think. I think you are right. Um, I don't think she's even nominated to be to not be nominated is yeah I get I get that I think she should have been nominated for that year but I, without looking I'm not sure who else was nominated maybe there were four other performances more worth more worthwhile but I don't subscribe to the theory that someone should win an Oscar just because you know if everyone really likes him people said that about Gary Oldman when he won for the Darkest Hour they're like finally he's he's got his well deserved Oscar almost like it was a his sympathy vote like he's like oh. We have, Gary's been around the block a few times. Let's give him an Oscar to say well done. And I don't like that. Um, and there are certain, I mean, there are certain Oscars who I think need an Oscar almost do legitimize themselves as great actors, but I don't want them to be given one just because as I say, they've been around the block a, few, a bit. You know, if, if Chris Nolan never wins an Oscar, will it be a travesty? Maybe Alfred Hitchcock never won an Oscar. I don't believe for best director. And you know, this is, this is Hitchcock. So yeah. there's that. But again, it, having the Oscar on your mantelpiece is a big deal. It's what everybody in the industry wants, but it shouldn't define you. And we've said that as well. We we love the Oscars. We love the pomp and ceremony. But you know, I still I still prefer La La Land to Moonlight, even though Moonlight is devastatingly good. It doesn't mean that either of them are bad films. It doesn't mean that I don't think any deserving. It's just personal opinion. Do, I might think Christopher Nolan was the best director of one of the years, which he didn't win. So I'll hold dear that he was. So here's the Travis. Just I, I pulled up the actress nominations for that year because uh, Meryl Streep is the one who doesn't belong, which is hard to say because I'm a big Meryl Streep fan. He's always in. She's only got to turn up and he's in. Yeah, but, and, but the movie Florence Foster Jenkins, <laughs> and that somehow bumps. Uh, oh, I have. It's not the worst movie by any means, and I, I'm a big Hugh uh, Hugh Grant fan, and he's great in that. But um, like, she doesn't deserve the nod for that movie, especially over Amy Adams's mm-hmm. amazing performance. I agree with you there. I agree with you there. Like we say, there may have been, had there been four like, powerhouse performances in fair enough, but I think the streetmeister turns up on set and that's her nomination in the bag. Almost it would seem for so, sure. um, which, you know, and again, there's nothing wrong with Meryl Streep's performance in that film. Um, like you mentioned Glenn Close, she may get, she may get it for Hillbilly Energy, which isn't a film, which is, widely uh well received but you know glenn close is very good in it but no i i i hear what you mean about the people getting an oscar just because but there are some times like you mentioned with um pacino when 
people just you get an Oscar because Al Pacino needs to have an Oscar on his mantelpiece. What films he got coming out? Certainly, uh, Woman, give it give it to him for that. But um, it is interesting. I reckon if we, if we were to look up some of the actors and actresses, we could have a right good debate about whether they should or shouldn't have won. Um, but that's a good one, my friend. Um, but uh, my one is well, it's not quite as exciting actually, and it certainly isn't going to involve any Oscar bait. It's um comes from Screen Rant, and it's why Godzilla versus Kong has a better shot than Batman v Superman, according to the director, Adam Wingard. So I was completely sucked into this headline. I was like, right, a better shot of what? More money, being a better film, whatever. Uh, as it turns out, the story's written by Sarah Gage. She's, it, director Adam Wingard doesn't want the aged King Kong in the film to be so different that it feels like Ben Affleck's debut in Batman v Superman. And now I feel like this is... And I'm not a fan particularly of that film. I love Ben Affleck as Batman, but I feel like this is a just kind of like kicking something for no apparent reason. Basically, the crux of the story is uh, the last time we saw Kong cinematically in a film, it was set in 1973. This ah. film is set in present day, so they've got to make Kong look a bit older. What Adam Wingard is saying is they had to make this film feel like a, a sequel to King of the Monsters and also Kong Skull Island. So you could watch the film and be like, oh, that's the same King Kong from the Skull Island film 50 years in universe prior. So what he's saying is basically, uh, I'm going to quote this verbatim. He says, uh, you flash forward in time and I look at, for instance, Batman versus Superman to use as an example. And this is just my opinion. But my issue with that movie is it's really is really that it's a new Batman. It's Ben Affleck as Batman. And it's and up until then, Christian Bale was the definitive Batman. And so it felt like, OK, now we're doing bvs we're also restarting batman at the same time so this feels like a different universe which it is and so this is a different batman uh so it took me a few reads to understand what the hell he's on about but now i've got it he's, he's that sound like you've got this big batman versus superman film and we've just come off christian bale and big tentpole film and you're not wrong it's a different batman but yeah but my issue with the statement is that BVS, as far as I'm aware, was never touted as a spiritual sequel to the Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, sorry. Whereas King Kong, sorry, Kong versus Godzilla is a literal sequel to those last films and those franchises. But um, so they're basically saying because they've given they've given Godzilla, a, uh, sorry, King Kong a beard, basically is what they've done. Literally, what they've said is a bit grizzled, and they've given him a beard. That's how we're going to know it's the same Kong. But would you have ever? Could you imagine going into uh, Kong versus Godzilla? Uh, up way around and thinking that doesn't look like the same Godzilla from the Kong Skull Island film. Cause I know people have said he looks bigger, but you know, and it well, didn't take me out when watching the trailer, man. It didn't for me. And what I would say to that is like, we don't really know how gigantic monstrous gorillas age. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like why are we assuming that the same laws that apply to regular apes and gorillas apply to King Kong? He is not right. Like, the whole premise of the monsters are that they're like these Titans. So I would have accepted that he looks exactly the same mm-hmm. to be honest. Uh, and would have just assumed, yeah, cause he's a, he's like a God, right? Isn't that kind of the premise of King Kong was that like they, and Godzilla and all the other monsters in the King of the monsters movie that they're like these Titans, these primordial figures that have existed for a long time. Uh, so yeah, I wouldn't have questioned it for a second. Um, what about the BVS comparison? I mean, that feels a bit oh. stretched to me. I, I I see what he's saying in terms of a like meta narrative that people maybe came into Batman versus Superman and 
you have a Batman in mind. You have like who the Batman is. And now all of a sudden you have this new guy. So you have to accept that and then accept the world of the film. And especially because there's so many chronological things that I think are wrong with the beat, the, the justice league universe, especially I think what they've done with wonder woman is just like, you're telling me for, for 60 years, she was a secret. Like how, how is that possible? Um, but I think that's a whole other issue with the Snyderverse, but um, I do, I get what he's saying. I think people had that same concern with, with Tom Holland as Spider-Man uh, and how he just kind of showed up in civil war, right? Like yeah. um, would people accept him? And I, I think there was enough of a separation because people didn't really latch on to Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man. So like that was the palate cleanser to the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, which was obviously a cultural lands, a landmark for many. Uh, you and I were talking off mic yeah. about that for you um where there was no you know affleck was essentially the the cl- palate cleanser for what will hopefully be robert pattinson's definitive performance as batman and, and become the new batman but i think affleck suffered that that kind of transition and the abruptness plus i i do think as as much as bale had said he wasn't going to do another batman movie i think there was still hope that he might there was even rumor for a little while that he might come back yeah. um and that he didn't and especially amongst the marvel universe happening like as it's failing uh, the dc's you know go in the opposite direction it's sinking while marvel's crafting this amazing masterpiece of of cinema uh franchise them that just you know, had never been close to being replicated. Everyone who else who's tried to do a, a massive franchise like this has, has bombed. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, I kind of see his point in that, that we need to know that Kong Skull Island is in conversation with these films. It is not like we did a King Kong movie and now we're bringing the character of King Kong into this movie. Cause that is what happened in the Snyderverse, right? Like we did a Batman series but that was standalone, which now DC is fully embraced, though, right? We get why we have Todd Phillips Joker and we have Joker in Suicide Squad, and now mm-hmm. we're gonna have Jesus Joker in in mm-hmm. uh, Justice League. Um, so yeah, I, I I I get what he's saying. I again, I think the aging thing is stupid because it, you know it's an ape. Yeah, you're asking us to accept that there's a gigantic monstrous ape and a gigantic monstrous lizard if we can't accept that and we're like wait a second how come he has an age like dude for real he hasn't got a beard how can i how can i buy this thing yeah it's like guys come on like we're already buying into this this unbelievable premise that i don't know man you and i were both really down on king of monsters um, yes and i wanted to love that movie i was so pumped for that movie i like when the monsters are fighting well i like Ghidorah at least but there's, and again, I'm actually, I am a big fan of the human stories in these movies. I just think it was executed so badly um, in in uh, King of Monsters. But I, I liked Skull Island um, yeah, a lot yeah. more than I thought I was going to. Um, so I, I'm hopeful for this. I am very doubtful. Uh, not to mention, let's, Wingard has not exactly done a lot recently to give us any kind of faith like Not recently no if we look at his early stuff sure but his last couple of projects have been uh very very uh negative and not great so i am a little apprehensive and he's got they just announced him for something else the face-off sequel oh yeah that's what it is uh, a sequel not a reboot sequel yeah which is like what okay yeah they've got to get two people with like who just ooze charisma to take over from cage and travolta because they they Got it. They nailed it. 
Do you not think they're going to be in it? I, I was under the impression they would be in it. I don't know. I mean, John Travolta, I mean, I mean, I mean, he's I'm doing sh- Super Bowl commercials. I mean, I'm pretty sure he's willing to do whatever. He's done oh, a dude. lot of straight DVD movies. Travolta is probably oh, they're knocking on Wingard's door, you know, yeah. delivering like delivering cookies or muffins or whatever. Like, come just say, no, I'm here. But I think they're going for a new cast. I mean, I've seen some kind of funky um, casting ideas of who people would like to see, but Cage and Travolta, again, whether people like the film or not, those two just worked so well off playing, playing the opposite and bit bouncing off each other just worked. And if, if you're going to reboot it, sorry, it would make a sequel, which is probably going to be the same premise. You've got to swap faces. Then you've, that's the part you've got a nail. And again, whether people like the film, I think the two actors in that film nailed their performances of, of the opposite. So Wingard, maybe is he going to be able to, you know, flesh out a um, performance from whoever he gets? I don't know. Cause in the last few films, not entirely sold again his, his early stuff like you say like your next that's great but yeah. um yeah I, I haven't really got any hopes for godzilla versus kong and, and i can already hear people saying of course you shouldn't it's titans fighting i still want to i still want to happen like i still want to come out and say i enjoyed it and also it's a good film i would also like to have both if you know what i mean yeah i would be content with just the fighting because that's the thing i've complained about in the past with some other like movies like this uh honestly a lot of the transformers films it's like dude i just want the transformers like i don't need all of the human drama that you try to incorporate because you're not doing it well if you do it well great but you clearly don't care about it it's just trappings for a plot okay monsters for example i loved i loved the fights between the monsters i think they looked incredible but i think like the monsters and they looked imposing and badass but then you intersplicing it with like Charles Dance and Vera Farmiga uh, just gurning a lot. And I'll say one thing though, I, I the, where there is a bigger comparison to Batman v Superman that I hope doesn't happen in, in Godzilla versus Kong that I think was really cool about Kong Skull Island is like the world didn't turn to shit visually when Kong was fighting things in that movie. Where like look at. Uh, king of monsters like this everything's gray and i know there's a justification for it but like the the smoke and the cloud it it's so unappealing and that's everything about bvs man and actually all of the the dc films every boss fight like the end of wonder woman like the fight with uh aries it looks like trash it it's it's murky it's muddy it's it's not even like they're on earth anymore it's just david thulis's mustache oh geez um but yeah so and that is a Snyder thing. Snyder, it's a Snyder look, and I, uh, it, it just became kind of the visual language for the DC universe, and I, I don't like it. And I think you see that in King of Monsters. So I hope Wingard went away from that um, in Godzilla vs Kong. I honestly, I don't even think I paid that much attention to the trailer, so I'm not sure if I if it is that way or it not. Looks but. like he's gone the other way. There was a really nice looking scene, but ultimately, it looks re- it looks designed for people to go. How cool does that look? With Godzilla standing in this kind of like cyberpunk city with neon lights all over the buildings. Which every time the the more I look at it, I'm thinking, what a, what a, what a ridiculous premise. Like, why why would it look like that? But it looks cool in the trailer, and um, the, and, and you know, I can see the parallels of Snyder. You've heard the rumors of how this film ends. Godzilla versus Kong. Godzilla's about to kill Kong, and Kong just says Martha, and it goes from there. Mothra, he says Mothra. That's it. That's ah, yes. <laughs> Why did you say that name? Um, and then Mothra uh, comes back from the dead. Did Mothra die in King of the Monsters? Spoilers. I don't remember. I, I actually wasn't even sure. I was about to ask if Mothra was in King of the Monsters. <laughs> it's, uh, she's definitely in there because I'm sure. I'm sure she turned up and helped um, 
yeah, uh, whoever the right. good guy was. Who was the good monster? It was Godzilla, wasn't it? It was, it was. of course it was. And so, uh, he's in the damn title, and even I'm still trying to work out who's in the film. Yes, because Ghidorah was the three-headed beast who who was like, menacing. He's awesome. Um, but yeah, Mothra, Snyder, Godzilla. Yeah, an interesting dis- discussion about that, which I didn't think we'd actually get out of. But yeah, there we go. Um, that was our headlines. We'd love to know what you think about those. But now we move on to our next segment, which is entitled Media Consumption, where we consumpt some media. We consume media throughout the week. That's what we do. We're pop culture vultures. And we we tell you and tell each other what we've been uh, checking out in movies, TV, video games, music, podcasts that we don't feature on, you know, uh, video, comic books, whatever it might be. Whatever we've used to pass the time, and John's always got a big old list and an exciting list. So, John, this week, what have you been checking out? Um, so, uh, as per usual, I listened to the most recent episode of the Blank Check podcast, which uh, they are doing um, the Disney movies, and so they're uh, on Aladdin right now, and that was a really good episode, a little long, which I always enjoy, the longer episodes. Um, then, uh, for... Um, a lot of different things. I've been watching a lot of movies from 1985 for an upcoming episode of a podcast. I'll leave nameless, but um, I've checked out the, the black cauldron, which is available on Disney plus. Um, all of these are actually first time watches for the most part. Uh, Spies like us, the Dan Aykroyd and Chevy chase comedy um, directed by John Landis of all things. Uh, not, not my favorite, but yeah, it's, it's fine. Um, after hours, the Martin Scorsese, comedy which was uh kind of surprising and i wasn't i didn't know it was a comedy going into it exactly but then i'm watching the opening title credits and Catherine o'hara and john hurd are in it and i'm like hold up hold up is this a comedy it's comedy and, yeah <laughs> um and uh sure enough it's 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 dark humor though so it, it totally up scores as he's uh alley um i i watched technically a rewatch because i'm pretty sure i saw this in the theater with my mom and i definitely had the a toy necklace of the green crystal that Rambo wears in Rambo first blood part two. Um, I, I had that necklace. So I definitely saw this movie as a kid with my mom. Uh, it, it does not hold up in my opinion. It is pretty brutal. What a name uh, Rambo first blood part two. Right. Um, and it has really nothing to do with the first movie. So it's even weird that they felt they had to do that. Like, it's just Rambo two. Like, why are you exactly making this so complex? Um, and then uh, I watched uh, last night um, William Friedkin's To Live and Die in L.A., uh, which I was very, very excited um, because it is not available digitally like at all. Like You can't get it on iTunes or Vudu or anything like that. I happened to find it on Blu-ray at, I think, a family dollar or a dollar general for five bucks a few, maybe a couple of years ago. Um, and it's sat unopened on my shelf until last night. And I, I cracked the plastic um, and checked that out last night. Uh, so I have a couple more 1985 movies I want to watch. Um, I can't, I, I can't bring myself to buy Jewel of the Nile. I just keep hoping it's going to drop on sale for like really cheap. Um, Cause I've heard really bad things about it. And I like, I like the first movie. Um, yeah. Romancing the stone. So I'm just like, I, I don't want to spend the money on it, but uh, then uh, for movie club, I rewatched uh, the Butch casting and Sundance kid, oh, nice. um, which uh, Corey had never seen. Um, so it was cool. We just recorded that episode last night and, uh, she also liked the movie. And then the week before we watched, um, we, we had to record a little tighter than we normally do because Corey's, uh, on vacation this week, um, from me, I guess. Uh, so, um, but we watched, uh, the Fisher King, which is, uh, oh, directed Jeff Bridges film. Jeff Bridges and Robin Williams bromance. Um, but it's directed by 
I am not going to think of his name. The guy who directed Brazil and 12 uh, Gilliam. Yeah. Terry Gilliam. Um, which I did not know this movie existed until we had picked bromance for our theme for February. And I went looking for bromances cause I've seen a lot. That's a genre that I, it's a, it's a romantic comedy with best friends. I've seen all of them, right? Like I've seen so many of them. So I had to like go through like a top 100 list and I'm hitting like the thirties before I start seeing movies I hadn't seen before. And I come across this one. I'm like, hold up, Jeff Bridges and Robin Williams. What a team how do I not know this movie? Right? Like these are two actors I'm a big fan of. Is, is this a film that Jeff Bridges should have won the Oscar for? Uh, no, no, it's not <laughs> his best performance. Um, it's good though. I do. I, I actually like the movie a lot. And uh, um, one thing I didn't know, uh, if you watch it, you get to see Robin Williams penis. So there you go. Uh, Sweet. Sign me up. Right. Yeah. It's something I was never thinking in my life that I was like, Hey, you know, really appreciate Robin Williams as an actor, but I've never seen his penis. Well, that, that, issue was resolved thanks to terry gilliam's film and then uh i just finished today uh star trek the motion picture um i am a star wars fan predominantly i do like the jj abrams bad robot uh trilogy of star trek movies i don't know that i like the second one i've only seen it once i didn't hate it like a lot of other people but i also was just like whatever it's fine i really like star trek beyond I know that's an unpopular opinion, but I thought that movie was so much fun. Um, and when they broke out Beastie Boys at the end, I was just like, yep, love it. I don't care. Uh, but so I've never seen um, the original series. I watched some Next Generation as a kid with when it was on TV like normal. Um, but I was never like a big, big fan of that. And I have seen Wrath of Khan. That's the only Star Trek film I've seen uh, <laughs> as an adult, which I watched right before Into Darkness came out, knowing it was a you know kind of remake. And uh, so I kind of have always heard really bad things about the first movie. And um, I don't know if it's just maybe where I'm at mentally right now or whatever, but I was, I kind of vibed with the whole like laid back, not a lot happens, mainly dialogue exposition. Um, You know, I, I was, I liked it. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised. I I did choose to watch it because of blank check because their Patreon episode this week is uh, they're doing the original five Star Trek movies um, as commentary. So uh, and Griffin has never seen any of the movies um, where David is a big fan of the franchise. Um, so it was, it was like, Hey, I might as well watch it uh, before I listen to the episode. So I've, I've only listened to about half of the episode, but I have finished the movie and it, they're all on Hulu, which was convenient. Like the original, uh, I think most star Trek is on Hulu actually, but the original five movies for sure are on Hulu to stream. And uh, so I was like, yeah, why not? Um, then uh, I'll, I'll do music first before I get into our TV episode, because I know we have that in common. Um, I want to keep recommending K-Flay. Uh, it is K period Flay, F-L-A-Y. I um, came across her through another artist I've definitely talked about on the show, Grandson, yeah. who is a, a, a... It's For me, there's this really big push with the younger musicians of like blending genre, where there's like almost no definitive like where do you place these people like they're they're kind of meshing hip-hop and, and rock and even a little bit of like folk and other genres into their music k does that um and adds a little bit of like electronica and uh, uh some other stuff that i i wouldn't have normally like clashed with or clicked with and i i she's currently my favorite artist i i cannot get enough of her music i keep just like it's on repeat constantly um, and it's like all of her albums, not just her recent stuff. Uh, she did her most recent album. I did talk about on an episode because she did the, uh, um, don't judge a song by its cover. It's just a three song EP where she covers offspring, self-esteem green days, brain stew, and, um, 
uh, Limp Biscuits break stuff. Mm-hmm. And I love those songs, but that's, I was already a fan of her, uh, but I've just become more and more of a fan. And she does a lot of like a lot of the production stuff I think is all her. Um, and I just, I really like it. And I want people to listen to her because I don't think enough people know who she is. And again, she had, uh, she's done at least two songs with grandson. And that was how I first became aware of her. She is on the um, birds of prey soundtrack, I think. Um, so like there's places to hear her. It's not like she's like some indie artist that no one knows about, but I don't feel like enough people are talking about her in my opinion. And, I, I, I really want people to listen to her because I just think she's great. And I also, it's one, for me, one of the things I love about media is being able to have a conversation about it. And if no one else is, no one else that I know is listening, then it's just me like screaming at myself. And I'm just like, somebody listen to me, please. I'd like to, I'd like to have a conversation about how great she is, but no one else has experienced it where I can do that. So listeners, if you, if you listen, tweet at us, what do you think of Kay I think she's great. Um, there you go. And, Lastly, as I know you have also watched, uh, WandaVision continues to, to knock it out of the park. Um, mostly, uh, I did, I did feel like part of episode seven was, um, not a letdown, but like it was exactly what everyone had been predicting. And it, that kind of felt like, uh, I guess, um, (laughs) but I, I, I don't dislike it. It just wasn't as. I don't know. There were some other fan theories that would have been more uh, shocking, I guess. So yes, impactful in a shocking way. Um, or episode seven was just like, Hey, you know that thing you maybe thought, well, you were right. And it's like, Oh, well, but it, I don't like that. Like to make it right. You had to show us that you did things that we didn't see mm-hmm. that I feel like is cheating. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's not like a real, like, Oh, I see. It's like, no, no, you literally change scenes to make this fit into that mold. Otherwise, it wouldn't make sense. And that's, that feels kind of cheap and like a cop out in writing, but whatever, you know, people do it all the time. It's not that it's not uncommon. It's just like, it's still annoying when it happens. Yeah. yeah, That added, added perspective, which was clearly never there in the first, I mean, obviously it's written in it. We know that this was a planned out show. Wasn't they not doing it by the seat of their pants, but it does feel like it was forced in to fit this narrative. How can we get this to happen in the story? Well, let's just go back and say that this is this was this is this. Um, so I, I like the reveals in this. I think the reveals were done well in terms of like um, how in the kind of this new kind of one division style they pulled them off or they revealed these things. But yeah, the actual what was behind the reveals were one of them was a bit like okay, yep, yeah, uh, you know people have been speculating this for a little while now, and here it is. So what else are we going to get? I'm now interested in what I'm hearing other people are saying about kind of what, again, no spoilers, what what we get at the end and things like that, what, what it could mean or this kind of stuff. And that's exciting. And um, I like, I still like what they're doing with the character of vision. I've said that before. Um, what the, the main reveal in the episode is, I do feel slightly um, deflated by it somehow, because I've been saying for the last few weeks of someone again, who wasn't particularly looking forward to this and who's now loving it. I really like where they're going with this, you know, how, how they're using the characters wander as, you know, this kind of Oracle is doing everything. I, I liked that. I feel a bit deflated now, but, um, and, uh, there was another review. That's another one, which is going to tie into, uh, other films, which I know a lot of people were very excited about when, um, another character entered the hex and, um, or re-entered or whatever. And people are getting very excited about that, but I enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to seeing how they end off this season. Uh, I think it's, I don't think it's going to be as groundbreaking as a lot of people hope it's going to be. 
I don't, yeah. I don't think certain people are going to show up that a lot of people want to show up. Maybe in maybe they're doing Mandalorian and then season two, they're just going to throw everything at the dartboard and see what sticks. But and I love that season. Uh, but I think I think they, we're going to end on a big old cliffhanger. But um, no, I'm enjoying it. I, do you think we're going to get some kind of like huge sting at the end, or is it going to be you know fairly you know standard to what people are thinking? I'm not sure. I I could see them going with a huge sting because of the the we're in that like kind of transition phase of the cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and Feige was really pushing that you have to watch the shows to see the movies. Um, we are expecting it to tie directly into Doctor Strange. That's always that's been the kind of uh, direct line. I think and you said so, it would anyway. Yeah, this, I, I don't think a lot of it is speculation at this point. So it's more like how do you go that direction? Then you know. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm I'm I'm, intri- I'm intrigued to see, but I, I I could easily see them going super big or just doing exactly what we expected to do. And that's, I think where you and I both kind of felt deflated with this last reveal was that it, it felt like the safe play and not the big shock that we were kind of getting used to. Yeah. It, it went a bit more. I'm not, I'm not going to say generic, anything like that, but in terms of like narrative where they're going, it kind of went, it started to veer more that way. It's kind of like, Oh, I liked what it was before, but uh, Paul Bettany he did say that somebody is going to appear who he's always wanted to work with a, a legend. He's always wanted to work with. Yeah, he hasn't done yet. So you go online and people have looked all through <laughs> Paul Bettany's filmography and they're like, well, he hasn't worked with Patrick Stewart. He hasn't worked with these people. Ah, he has worked with Ian McKellen. There's not going to be Magneto. Sorry, guys. So um, people are pulling out all these names of who uh, that Paul Bettany has not worked with, who they think he would love to work with. And, you know, Patrick Stewart's showing up an awful lot, but I'm not going to sit here and say that Patrick Stewart's going to show up because I don't know that. Um and I'm just going to hope that they stick the landing, whatever, whatever, whoever shows up, whatever they do. Hey, well, as long as they stick the landing, this is going to be a very successful season one, um, which I know you're excited about. And I'm very pleasantly surprised about as well. But um, there's another wonderful cheese board there from Jonathan Ebuck. Usual great yeah. stuff. Mine is um, kind of a mixed bag, actually. WandaVision again. And mine was all film based. I, too, have been watching films in 1985 uh, for a show which you've probably heard of. And I watched Witness, which I know John watched last week. I yep. first watched that in Film Studies, the Harrison Ford Amish film. Um, I also watched Rambo First Blood Part 2. And in order to keep the show PG, I won't say how, I won't tell you how I described it to John, but it wasn't very flattering. Um, spoiler for the episode of Astrology for Rambo First Blood Part 2. Um, I also watched Only God Forgives, the uh, Nicholas Winding Road film, Nicholas Winding Refn film, with Ryan Gosling, it was on the BFI player for free. So I was like, yep, I've subscribed to that. I'll check it out. Um, I like Only God Forgives. I don't think it's great. I think it's fine. Um, yeah. It's not the masterpiece that <laughs> Reffin thinks it is, but it's stylistic. It's what Drive could have been, but isn't. And by that, I mean Drive is stylish and there's substance. Yeah. A lot of it. Just only God Forgives is style, but there's not much going on there, I don't think. Um, speaking of which, I also watched The Rise of Skywalker, this week because it was on it was on sky cinema i was flicking through the channels the tv guide rise of skywalker it's kind of just about just started i'll put this on and i was like oh kylo ren met the emperor spoilers how cool is in mcdermott oh well, i don't want to watch the rest of the film because it, it only goes downhill from here but um so i watched the rise of skywalker and the best moment from that is i'm not sure if it's on the sessions instagram or not but in the, mo- the moment in that film where, where ray is in the desert of Pasana trying to bring down a troop transporter that she thinks Chewbacca's on being captured by the first order. Uh, and she's, you know, she's 
reaching out of the force and she's force pulling this thing down. And then my four-year-old daughter, she's watching this because she loves Ray. She likes Ray. She loves Ray, uh, which is what it's all about. And she, she stands up and she starts putting her hand out as well to help Ray force pull this troop transport down. Um, oh which is really pretty cool. She just got up and started trying to use the force. I was like, this is, that's what it's all about to me. You know, I, I may, I may, John and myself may not have been too fond of the rise of Skywalker. I liked a bit, a lot of, a lot of it, but it really disappointed me, but it's all about what the kids, man, is the, the next generation of fans. Same for any IP, you know, to see, to see that. I was like, you know what? I'll snap a picture of this quickly. And, uh, and then of course the troop transport blew up and I had to say, look, you, you obviously tried too hard. Look, you've blown it up. Yeah. Um, I was like, crap. I'm going to explain that. But what's that film? Uh, 1985, uh, Cocoon. I, I, I saw that film many years ago, so I've gone back to watch Cocoon. Um, again, I'll save my thoughts for the show. Blade Runner 2049. Speaking of Jared Leto earlier on, uh, I said to John Alfair, like, you know, when you just get a, you just want to watch a film. There's a certain film you just got the, uh, you got a, uh, itch you need to scratch. And for some reason, I really wanted to watch 2049 because I only seen it once at the cinema at about a nine o'clock showing and I was really under the weather. I had a cold. I just wasn't, I enjoyed it. I really liked it the first time I saw it, but I knew that I wasn't kind of fully there because I was tired. I was bunged up and I was, my eyes were kind of watering from the cold. Um, so I was like, I've got to rewatch it soon to see if was it as good as I remember. And ah, it is. I really, really think 2049 is magnificent as a film. Really like 2049. I much prefer it to the first Blade Runner. Uh, I don't care if that's heresy. I think 2049 is a much better film. Um, and speaking of much better films, uh, to the to the first film, Alien vs. Predator Requiem. I watched that, my friend, and that isn't a better film than the first one, which itself wasn't great. Alien vs. Predator, colon, silly title. Uh, I watched that for MPM because we're covering that this week, and by, by, by God, King, is that film horrific. Um but that's me. Did you watch that film? You've seen that, haven't you? I have, yeah. AVP, yeah. the first one, it, it suffers from the thing we were talking about earlier with Godzilla. Is they, they put so much emphasis on the people. I'm like, I want to see the alien and the predator fight. That's the only reason I'm here. I don't care about the people, which I think they do a better job with Requiem in that regard. But the other stuff, again, is really bad. This is um, rubbish. I didn't even mind the first <laughs> one. I said that last week. AVP, again, it's, it's not a classic of cinema, but it, it, not meant to be. I didn't mind it. I went, I was like, it's an interesting idea, the archaeological dig. And and, and actually, it's, it's, a, it's like a blood sport hunting between the predators and aliens happens there over the last few millennium. Great. I like that. It's fine. Um, and it wasn't as bad as I remember it being. It's cheesy as hell. But Requiem is just, obviously, it goes. It, there's a certain tone it's going for. And they try very hard to get this kind of like, oh, look how shocking we can be. Um, certainly of certain scenes in the hospital, but it's just not very good as well. Like the editing, it's really dark. You can't really see what the hell's going on with a lot of the fight scenes. It's kind of got like Chris Nolan Transformers where it's too dark and too fastly edited to, 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 so you can't see what's happening. It's just naff, basically. But hell, I sat through that. It wasn't very long. But I'm glad to know that you also yeah. weren't a fan. Yeah, no, neither of those are very good. And they're not canon uh, to any of the universes. They're not canon to Predator or to Alien, so... No, of which you can now watch on Disney Star over here in the UK. You can go on to Disney Plus and watch the Alien films, uh, which is great. But I did check that it was, like, child-proof, and yet the kids can't go on and watch it, which is a shame because it would have put um, it would have helped their accelerate their um, <laughs> their growth there to adulthood to watch those films at age four and ten. But, yes. Um, well, 
that's what we've been consuming. There's our headlines and there's our non-spoiler review of Nomadland. And they were bloody awesome. I've had a bloody awesome time. But we do have levels to reach throughout the week. And uh, it's like a gauge we have to hit to get the bloody awesome. So we have certain activities which we undertake to hit those levels. So, John, what have you been doing this week to stay bloody awesome? Well, I've been trying to play a, a little bit more video games. Um, I've, I've gotten my, my workflow under a good cycle of, like, I know what I need to do. So I, I went back to an old favorite. Um, I've been playing with my friend uh, Halo Master Chief Collection on Xbox uh, three uh, One. Sorry, forgot their stupid naming conventions. But um, Halo was like the game that got me into first person shooters and like uh, multiplayer in general. Uh, we used to have like LAN parties back in the day where we'd have like four people on one TV, a cable running across the house to another TV and Xbox with four other people, and we would be yelling at each other and having a blast. And then uh, Halo 2 started the online multiplayer. And we've been a, a big fan of that franchise for a long time. And when the Master Chief Collection came out, it was kind of buggy. And it, it didn't it didn't have a whole lot to keep you playing it online. And um, the community's really built back up. And so uh, we've jumped back into it. It's included with the Xbox Game Pass. So if you pay for like the $15 a month uh, subscription, you have like unlimited access to a bunch of games. And this is one of them. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's it's all of the Halo games minus five. Five is a standalone, but Halo's uh, one, two, three, four, plus the uh, remastered Halo original, uh, which is Halo Combat Evolved, um, the PC version, and then Halo 2 remastered, which looks fantastic. That's actually, Halo 2 remastered and Halo 4 have been my favorites to uh, to play uh, again, but like we just, it, you, you can you can have it where it only does one game, or you can have it where it's just random, whatever version you end up in. Um, it's just been fun playing, uh, it, you know, sometimes you get into a group where like, it feels like you're playing against professional gamers. And then other times it's like, everybody's on a level playing field and we're all just there to have fun. Um, but it's been good times. So I've never played Halo and that's, uh, on me. I've never, cause I get it for, for the longest time. I went, I went without a console from like between the years of like 2005, maybe 2000 to 2015. I just didn't, I didn't have a console. Um, so I kind of missed out on all of these films and even got a game story. And even when I did have a console, I never, was never really gravitated towards those film, games. But then recently I played something like, uh, modern warfare and I'm like, this is great. What have I been missing out on? So yeah. I am kind of making it my goal to go back and play these, these games. And you, you, um, turn me on to, um, until dawn a couple of months yeah. ago. And I smashed through that in one evening and had the first, well, one of the story and I had a great time and it kind of reignited the fact that, there's so many great stories out there in games that you need to go out and play them, man. And hearing your thoughts on that, man, I might check that out soon. Should be noted though, with Halo, I, I almost have never played the story. I think I beat Halo three um, story, but otherwise I've always just played it as a multiplayer. And that is my, like, again, that, uh, four, four V four, like house party, uh, environment was like some of my, the funnest gaming I've ever done in my life. Cause it was like, we had a regular group of four V four and, um, you know, every, it was like once a week, we'd all get together and it was, it was especially right now. Um, I think that's part of the, why I found comfort with Halo is it reminds me of like when I used to actually see people and hang out with everyone. Um, and, but it's because it's online, at least it's like, and, it, and one of my friends, um, David, who is, uh, the editor for Burke reviews, um, we've been playing it together and he was one of the original eight as well. So nice. it has that kind of, at least we're like together playing it and, uh, we get on, uh, the, Halo has vehicles too. And the, the big Jeep with a gun is called a warthog in the game. And w- what we'll do is he, he drives and I get on the gunner and we just 
plow through everybody. Like we're just <laughs> wreak havoc. Rolling around wreaking havoc. Exactly. It's a lot of fun. And then of course there's always like those humorous moments where it backfires, like where a rocket launcher will come out of nowhere. We're like, we got him and then boosh, we're dead. <laughs> but they're the um, best so, moments. Yeah, exactly. Cause you're like, you're, you're on this like really high you're buzz of like, you're in the zone and then suddenly it's like you're laughing in, in hysteria that you just got blown to smithereens in this game and it's it's a lot of fun um we we played a couple of times this weekend it was it was good good times i remember doing that with uh let me just put, push my glasses up uh golden eye on the n64 quite a yeah. lot yeah get people around and play that man um they uh, they're the best time we, there is going to be a we will do a bamp uh gaming session at some point um, I always forget because again, I don't usually, I don't really, I've got these games, but I never really play them. So at some point, JB will say, right, get, get your backside on. Let's play some Call of Duty or something. And the BAMP True. will reign supreme. So if you're on yes. at that time, good luck. Good luck. That's all I'm going to say. Um, well, that is bloody awesome. Mine is, um, something we spoke about off air again. Uh, we do speak off air if you didn't know. Um, mine is, I've been staying bloody awesome by buying physical media by, and by that, I mean films. I've, uh, having a discussion with a few people the last like, couple of weeks and months is like physical media, digital media is physical a dying medium. Is it going to become kind of like niche and chic uh, or uh, like a retro now, like vinyl always has been, but it's now kind of making a return in small um, patches or are we always going to have physical media around? And for the most part, I've just been downloading films uh, from you know, legally downloading films, buying them digitally. Sorry. Um, because it's convenient and I love the convenience. I'm a theater going dude, but I love the convenience to be able to sit down, drop one pound on whiplash and I own it. It's mine mm-hmm. D- digitally, but I've got it. Um, but recently I JB, cause I mentioned JB sent across a few films. He sent across uh, the lighthouse, uh, uh, um, the Tom Hanks one, which I can't want to be my right? neighbor. That's it. Beautiful damn neighborhood. And I can't find the other, the other ones around the corner. Excuse me for forgetting what it is. I can't see what it is. Um, but since then, I've been like, I look at them in my collection. I'm like, it's nice to see my collection looks a bit different. So in the last few days, I've just been bought a week. So I've just been buying not much, but I go on to in the UK, it's something called CEX, which is uh, it's a buy you buying selling kind of place. You go in, they'll buy all your stuff for you for a minimal price and sell it on for a bit more. You can go in there and buy. CD blue blu-rays for like two pounds of or the new ones of like five or maybe um i've been going on there just buying some old films i've always wanted films i wanted to see or films i, I posted on insta today of like ghost stories I'm, i love ghost stories but i've never had it physically so I, I i dropped one pound on ghost stories i paid more for the postage one pound fifty so 250 ghost stories and then some other films um i'm looking at doing a couple of filmographies like john's doing of actors and actresses filmographies i've been buying a few of those some natalie portman films i haven't got a garden state and things like that um some of the gosling films and this and i look over at my uh collection uh, most of them are actually in the loft at the minute until i can uh get the dad pad sorted and put them all on display but i'm quite excited at the idea of just having a half decent collection finally out there to see um so I'm staying bloody awesome by uh, buying physical media, keeping that trade going. And I've also bought from a few independent like local stores. So I'm keeping the independent scene alive as well. But uh, I know you're a, uh, you're a man who likes to dabble in both, aren't you? Digital and physical. Yeah. I, um, I fully embrace d- digital for um, availability reasons. Um, I think more than anything. And a lot of times there's really cheap offers uh, that you can get with digital. Um, my fear with digital 
is if a company goes under what happens, which movies anywhere helped alleviate that a little bit because it, it connects a lot of the movies. It doesn't, it doesn't hit every company because not every company has signed on for it. Uh, but at least there's like a central hub where if you bought it on iTunes, now you can still watch it on voodoo and things like that. But, um, but there's something about physical media that I prefer, especially, um, with like criterion and those collectibles. And I I've actually gotten more interested in steel books. Um, and this dude, I don't even, I was on uh, Instagram. He used, uh, like stickable magnets on the wall to display his steel books and like this nice. really cool grid pattern. I was like, okay, that's awesome. I never thought to do that. And I like that a lot. Um, but, uh, you know, not everything comes in steel book or they're not always readily available to get in steelbook. sometimes, sometimes, but sometimes they're really cheap. I've gotten some really good, like $6, $7 steel books. Um, I, I like to go, uh, we have a few like flea market type stores where you can get DVDs or Blu-rays for like a dollar to $2. Yeah. Um, and I love hitting those. Uh, it's becoming more and more of a trend. And even so, we have a, a store here called the Dollar Tree. Yes, yeah, which yeah. everything's a dollar. And um, often now they've been getting like good Blu-rays and DVDs. Like I got my copy of Ghost Stories at Dollar Tree. Nice. Uh, and I'm like, really? This is here? And I got The Miseducation of Cameron Post, a movie that I'd been waiting to buy for for months, and it was there at the Dollar Tree. And um, you know, so I, I like to have physical media. And the, the thing um, that I've always really liked and also hated about physical media was letting someone else borrow it. Something that they're trying to do on uh, the digital services. Now they have options to like screen share or uh, loan out a movie like once a month or whatever. Um, it still isn't a good system yet, but obviously the downside of loaning physical media was that it didn't come back to you. Right. That was always like the fear but now I'm finding the obstacle is that a lot of people don't have players. If they're not gamers, a lot of them have opted for like the digital streaming boxes and they don't have a DVD or Blu-ray player. Uh, and so you can't loan media. Like I have a friend who um, today revealed that she, I, I sent her the, you can get whiplash for a dollar. And she's like, what's that? And I was like, it's the first film before La La Land. She's like, I've never seen La La Land. I'm like, what? Come on. Um, and, and I'm like, I would loan you the Blu-ray right now, but you don't have a Blu-ray player. And so I can't. Uh, so yeah, stuff like that, it makes me sad. But um, there is like, uh, Corey and I, uh, every year we exchange Criterion movies. Basically, we buy each other a Criterion film because oh. uh, Criterion is very smart. They go on sale in November, a month before Christmas. Great time to buy. My birthday's in August. July is the other time that Criterion goes on sale for half off. <laughs> So it works out really well for me. Um, and uh, Corey started that. My The first one she bought me was Bottle Rocket because um, I was watching all of the Wes Anderson movies that year. And um, I didn't have access to Bottle Rocket because it was like only on Criterion at the time. And um, she got me. That was like one of my first Criterion. And then uh, I've gotten lucky and found some like like used ones. I found um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas at the, at the flea market. I got for like three bucks on Criterion DVD. Um, I got the Kronos, the Guillermo del Toro film on Criterion DVD from FYE for like four bucks a few years ago. Um, so it's weird. I've gotten some like that, but then I have a bunch of like the more recent stuff. And um, I bought the Bruce Lee Criterion box set that came out last year. Um, and then Corey and I, in November, we did the uh, Before Trilogy and we were, we had them on like regular DVD Blu-ray. Um, we both already owned the whole trilogy. But after watching the first one and we realized how much we loved it, we both ordered the the Before Trilogy Criterion box set because nice. we're like, nope, too big of fans. We want the box set. So um, 
and uh, for my job, um, I, I had my hands today on the Parasite Criterion, uh, and I'm like really mad because I bought it digitally when it first came out because I wanted to watch it, and that was the only way to watch it at the time. And had I known they were going to do Criterion, especially, I don't know if you know, but the Criterion comes with the full movie, yep. a bunch of special features, but then a black Ooh, and white version. Yeah, man. And the black and white version, I'm just like, I know that's so extra, but I really like that kind of thing. So I'm, uh, I was a little bummed that it wasn't my copy that I was holding in my hand today. I'm like, man, I should have bought this. Um, it is proper cinephile, isn't it? But sometimes it works. Yeah. But yeah, the physical media, man, it's just there's something about it. And again, unlike the digital copies, uh, you know you own the D. De- like, no one's going to come take the DVD from you. Like, it's yours. Uh, it'll work as long as you have a player um, where the digital copies... If Voodoo goes under, man, like, I don't know what happens to all the movies that I own. Like, do they just vanish? Like, is there, uh, there's no, there's no backlog here. And that, I mean, I guess you can make the same argument. Like if you, if you were one of the poor souls who invested in HD DVD, (laughs) but you still have those, right? Like, even if like you, you, maybe your player broke and now you can't find a player, but you still have the discs. If Voodoo goes under, I don't know what happens to my movies that aren't a part of movies anywhere. And I swear I swear, I can't prove this, and this is frustrating, but I swear I bought movies, and then later they're not in my library. Like, you get like, paranoid. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't prove it. I have no way to prove that I bought this. And uh, the other thing, though, the, this is the last thing. You technically aren't able to return DVDs once you open the plastic anyways. Like, you're not supposed to be able to. But you definitely can't with digital. And I would really like Voodoo, if you're listening, if whoever runs Voodoo, I feel like I deserve my money back for Out of Africa because I'm never going to watch it again. Never going to watch it again. Um, I'm not going to teach that movie. It, it. I would like my money back. You can even give me a voucher for a different movie because I will definitely buy more movies from you. That's not the concern here. It's just like as many movies as I have bought, I feel like I deserve a free one and I would like it to be in exchange for Out of Africa. Critically acclaimed, acclaimed Oscar That's, darling Out of Africa. Yeah. Africa. Not for Birkenfield, not for him. He not is work. not a fan of that. Well, the only reason I bought a PlayStation, one of them, there's two reasons. One, to play Star Wars Battlefront when it came out, the 2015 version, because I'm a, I'm a simp. And the other reason was I had a Blu-ray player on. That was yeah. it. I could play with, and that was literally the 50-50 split. I wanted to play Battlefront and and also kind of like use like uh, the, the apps like YouTube and all that kind of stuff, watch that on the telly and all that, rather than having to cast it and all that. Um but also because I wanted a Blu-ray player and obviously it can play DVDs, but DVD Blu-ray player without having to have a separate machine. Yeah. And that was literally the only, only reason. So yeah, I, I hear you on that, my friend, but um, well, listeners, digital, physical, do you have a preference or will you take whatever you can get? And like John said, some, some films aren't available digitally, so you have to go physical. And even then you sometimes have to pay top dollar for it. So um, we'd love to hear your thoughts on it, but that, that does wrap up episode 81, I believe oh, of the bloody awesome movie podcast and i hope you agree it's bloody awesome because i thought it was uh we're going to be back again next week and we're going to be reviewing the uh amazon prime film the prime film i care a lot starring rosamund pike which i'm looking forward to i care a lot about watching that film so i've heard good things um and if you want to uh, find out more good things about the bamp you can do you could find us on social media at twitter at bamp underscore podcast b-a-m-p underscore podcast john instagram where are we we are at Bloody Awesome Movie Pod. 
Yep, and if you still enjoy that Facebook, you can find us to search Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. Uh, if you want to find me online, you can do it at whatiwatchtonight.co.uk and across all the socials and letterbox, just find What I Watch Tonight and it'll be me. Uh, John, whereabouts are you? Um, I am at burkreviews.com and on all social media at burkreviews. Here, go check it out. Uh, and if you like what you've just heard and you fancy giving us a five-star rating and review on your podcast provider of choice, please do so because it helps get more listeners in. It spreads the word and we get to talk to more film fans, which is what we're here for. We're film fans. We want to converse with you guys. So if you do have a spare 30 seconds, please do consider leaving us that five-star review. But with that, as always, guys, stay bloody awesome. And keep watching movies. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, this is Matt from What I Watch Tonight. Come join me in the back row for movie discussion, retrospective episodes with guests, director-focused shows, end-of-year rankings, start-of-the-year predictions, and much, much more. There's more going on in the back row than you might think. Blood, 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 blood,